0: Those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Joe. Um, it's great to be with you. So, we're going to be starting our tough series questions. Um, and there's really two reasons behind why we, we're doing this. One, the first reason is we wanted to make believers into thinkers. And our second reason is we wanted to make thinkers into believers. Um, and what I mean by that is some of you are Christian. You've been Christian uh, for many, many years. You have a genuine relationship with the Lord. But your relationship with Him has been one that's more emotional, which is true and real. But when it comes down to uh, why you believe what you believe, if you're ever questioned by a mate, by a colleague, by a family member, you kind of just don't know what answer to give other than, "I ah, because I've experienced him. So, man, while that is good and holds some weight and there's some real impact that that can have for those that are close to us, there is a, a, a passage of Scripture in one uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, that says, We must be always ready to give an account of the hope that we have in Christ and to do so with gentleness and respect. And so, our hope is that we're going to be able to equip you as believers, that you might be able to sit down and have conversation with those people that ask you those tough questions. You might, uh, that'll be first prize. You might not necessarily know the answers, but at least have the confidence to know, man, there are answers to these things. Let me go find them out. I don't necessarily know them, and I'll come back to you and let's chat about it. So that's our hope for, for believers. But some of you are those kinds of people that have been asking those questions. Man, you've been asking those tough questions of your, your friends, of your families, of your colleague members, and you've been going, man, how, uh, what about this? What about that? And every time you've asked them these tough questions, they go, oh, man, you just got to believe. And while that might be great and good, and it's a part of it for sure, you're kind of just a logical person. You're wanting to have some answers. you wanting to be able to hang your faith on some logical stuff. And, and well, we as Christians, we have some logic, there's some rationale behind what we believe. And so our aim is that you'll be able to see there's rational logic behind this and hopefully move you from a thinker into a believer, and, and come to know this Jesus. We are so convinced that he is here, that he's real, that he's true, that we want you to be able to experience him as well. So the question that we're going to be tackling first up to me is the question, how can I be sure God exists? Or how can I believe in a God that I cannot see, that I cannot hear, and that I cannot touch? But actually this idea of believing in something you cannot see, hear, and touch is not as weird as you might initially think. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, well, no, she's my wife, but we had been dating for about six months. And uh, it was December holidays, and she went to, up to Durban um, to go visit her family. And I was an intern at the time here at the church. Uh, Christmas period is really rough for pastors because it's such a big time of the calendar. We don't get to really get away. Um, and uh, being an intern, being on call, being poor meant that I wasn't able to, to head up with her. Uh, I was an intern. I didn't earn much. Um, and so I couldn't go up with her. But those two weeks were rough, and December is like a super kiff time for me. I really, really enjoy it. I'm like a beach bum. I just, I seriously love being in the sun. Don't. I got a kid now, so that doesn't really happen very often. Um, But I, I I love to go to the beach. I love to go body surfing. I love to feel the salt on my skin as the sun bakes on me. I love to float down Ghanubie River. It's just a fantastic time for me. But as I was doing those things, man, I just, I was moping around. And I realized, man, I'm moping around because Alyssa's not here. And I thought to myself, well, if this is what two weeks is like, imagine if I don't have it for the rest of my life. And so, what I decided to do is I'll marry her. So, <laughs> it's completely selfish. I gotta admit, it's all about me and how I feel. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry this girl. And so, I went down and I sat down with the jeweler, and man, we started drawing things. It was fantastic. And he came to this ring. He's like, "This is what she wants?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's all I want." And then he told me the price, <laughs> and it was rough. And there's two questions that come into your mind. One, does she really need a ring? <laughs> I mean, surely our love is important, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's important. So that's all that matters, not the ring. But the, the second question is, is she going to say yes? Now, I, I didn't doubt my love for her, but, um, for for her, but you started going, is this girl going to say yes? Does she love me? Because the thing about love is you can't see it, you can't hear it, and you can't touch it. I can't bottle love for you. I can't bring it here in a nice bottle. If it was, it probably tastes like Steary Stumpy. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, I can't do that. I can't show you the physical side of what love is all about. I just can't. There's, you can't, I just can't do it. But the thing is what we can do and what I did is man, we can start to look for evidence that points towards it. So I started to ask man, the man, this girl, does she, she likes to spend time with me. Well, that, that's a good one. Okay, she, she, she makes plans with me. That's great. She holds my hand. That's all. Look at that—it's—it points there. It's point, It points towards this life. Man, she tells me she loves me on her own accord. She doesn't feel obliged because I say I love you. And she goes, oh, "Thanks." Or I love you too. It's—it's. It's, she says, "I love you." My birthday is in November, the twenty-second. You can diarize that and put that down. But she wrote me a lovely card. She did a fantastic day. She took me paddling on a river. Other, and that's me. I mean, we we discussed our future together. We started talking about it. Man, evidence started to point towards the fact that there's love. Why I could not bottle it, there was evidence that just felt overwhelming that love existed. And she had it for me. And so we got married. I was expecting a round of applause or something. But uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, so man, it was this, the same thing is with God. You can't see him, you can't hear him, you can't touch him. But what we can do is that we can look for evidence that points towards him being there. Does that make sense? God is spirit. (laughs) He's not physical. He doesn't consist of matter. He doesn't consist of all these things. But there's evidence that points towards his existence. And so what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at evidences that point towards God's existence. Now we're going to look at two. Right, I had three planned. I've decided to cut one for a variety of reasons. One of them was just time, man. time, we just can't take forever. Um, but we, we, time-wise, two. Um, I just realized that for some of us, this conversation is your bread and butter. This is the kind of stuff that you just chat and you think through. You you have these conversations, the books you read, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and tonight's going to be a breeze for you. But for those of you, I assume more of us than not this is going to be a bit of a stretch. This is not so much our bread and butter. And so your brains are going to be functioning in high capacity. And so I don't necessarily want to overload that with an extra one. And my other reason is because this last one, we're going to be tackling in week five. And so I don't necessarily, I don't want to repeat myself. I'm doing that one in week five. So I don't want to repeat myself again uh, with that argument. But let's look at um, two, two different evidences that point to the existence of God. The first evidence is the fact that the, the existence of the universe, All right? So astronomers used to, uh, ancient astronomers uh, and, and, and philosophers used to argue the fact that the earth was eternal. The universe was eternal. What does that mean there? What's the implication of that? The implication is if something is eternal, then it never had a beginning. And if it never had a beginning, it never needed a creator. Does it make sense? And so while there was never any way to uh, prove or disprove this argument, they always just held to it and they went against what Christians uh, believe in that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But until recently, there has been an absolute spike and explosion um, in the advancement of science of the last century or so, particularly in areas of philosophy, astronomy, and cosmology. Now, we're going to focus on that last one. Cosmology is, um, to put it really simply, the study of the universe. And the universe can be defined really simply as something that is made out of matter, time, space, and physical energy. Let me say that again. Matter, time, space, and physical energy. So there was this explosion in cosmology. The study of the universe. One example of this is in uh, 1915. A guy you might have heard of uh, called Albert Einstein. He um, he came up with this theory called the general theory, uh, the general theory of relativity. Uh, and I don't want to pretend that I could explain that all to you. Never mind, do it in this sitting. But one of the implications of it, it one of the implications was that the universe had a beginning. There was a starting point to the universe. The universe wasn't eternal but there was a starting point. Man, and, and they didn't like this, maybe because it sounded too much like creation. And so what scientists tried to do was disprove prove this theories, tried different experiments, went after it. But the more they did that, the more they actually proved this idea that the universe had, an, uh, had a beginning. One of the recent um, experiments that proves this is the Hubble Space Telescope. Have you maybe recognized that name, Hubble Space Telescope, from indescribable, from Louis Giglio? Some of you Christians might have watched that and loved it. If you haven't, I suggest you do. One of the things that this allowed uh, astronomers to do was it allowed them to be able to do an experiment in the universe to see and notice that the universe is actually expanding. So it's expanding and going out. And the further out it is, the faster it is going. And what that means is at some point, there was a beginning point. This had to start at some point. And so it just kind of emphasized yet again, man, universe has a beginning. So how then does this prove the fact that there is a God? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, Is the fact that if the universe had a starting point in history, it it obviously means it began to exist. And if something began to exist, something had to cause it to exist. You've tracking with me here. Something had to cause it to exist. Because things don't just exist without nothing causing it to exist. Science operates on the principle that if something exists, it must be caused to exist. Albert Einstein, again, I'll quote him because we all know him. He says, the scientist is possessed by a sense of universal causation. So if the universe began, it needed a cause. But if something causes the universe to exist, it needs to be beyond the universe. It can't be a part of the universe. What does the universe exist of? Uh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. It would, not, would normally be up. What does the universe exist of? It exists of, um, it's of space, it's of time, physical energy, and matter. The cause of the universe needs to be beyond time, beyond space, beyond physical energy, and beyond matter. Now, that just seems uncannily similar to what we as Christians argue is what God is. He's beyond time, he's beyond space, he's beyond physical energy, and he's beyond matter. And so man, this evidence, while it doesn't draw you a picture of what he looks like, wouldn't be a white with blonde hair and blue eyes. He, the white doesn't draw you a picture of what he looks like. Man, point towards it. There is an existence for God. He's there. Now, I understand there is some objections to this. Let's address some of these objections. How do we know that it was God and not something else? How do we know it wasn't an alien? There's a a guy named Chad Meister. He's got a doctorate in philosophy, and he lectures at an undergrad level in philosophy of religion. And he once was taken by his wife um, to a dinner where they were all getting her all her and her colleagues were getting appreciated by her boss. And obviously the conversation comes up. What do you do? You know, like just that baby talking. And, and, and the conversation came up. And well, he says, I do philosophy and religion. What, 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 and obviously it came to the conversation of God. And well, he just described what I described to one of the guys. And the end of it, the airline pilot asked him, well, man, how do you know it wasn't an alien? And so he, he said, "Well, that sounds great. Let's call this alien Bob." It's this say, this alien Bob was a beyond time, beyond space, beyond matter, beyond physical energy, and he had the power to create billions and billions and billions of galaxies that has the intelligence to make sure that it all works together, so the life might exist. You call him the alien Bob. I call him Yahweh, the creator of Jesus Christ. Creator Jesus Christ. And so man, this it doesn't matter what you might think it possibly be, but, but this evidence points to there must be a God and we have be, has been revealed to us that this is Jesus. This is Yahweh. This is who he is. So that's, that's the one there. The, the second objection that comes is if everything needs a cause, who created God? Have you ever heard that one before? If everything needs a cause, who created God? Now, this is a misunderstanding. misunderstanding of the arguments, because not everything needs a cause. Only everything that needs a beginning needs a cause. That's why the whole idea of the universe being eternal was such a problem. But the fact that it has a beginning means there was a cause, and that cause, we argue, is God. But God never had a beginning. He's revealed to us, he's eternal. So there's no need for us to try to figure out who, what caused him because he has always been and always will be. Now that might rattle and blow your mind and we can't understand because we are part of this universe, which is a part of time, but God is eternal. So that answer, that question is not needed. So here we see the first one, man, pointing towards the fact that God exists is the fact that the universe exists and it needs a cause. Our second argument, and this might be a little lighter for some of you to understand, is our just so universe. Our just so universe. Now, we live in a beautiful country, don't we? Man, spring bucks, winter just makes it even more beautiful. Um it's just, we, our country is stunning. We have it's the reason why tourists come from all around the world to South Africa is because we offer so much. We offer something unique that the other the rest of the world doesn't have. But not only is South Africa a beautiful, so East London. I know some of you don't think that. But it really is. We're so privileged that we are able just to five minutes hop down to the beach. Nihoon Beach. World renowned. I mean, uh, um, Sean is up in Derbs in in Hillcrest. Lovely suburb. 45 minutes to the beach. Not great. Not great. But we're so privileged that we get a beer. And it's super, super beautiful. I, I, I live in uh, Gnubi. Um, and one of my favourite things to do is go down to Kanubi Beach. My um, grandfather, he's here this, uh, this evening. My son, he's not; he's home sleeping. And I, we, we head off to a Shelley's uh, coffee shop uh, every Monday morning. It's a tradition. The boys, boys breakfast, and we don't even order; they just bring us our food. That's how often we go, um, and it's it's not it's not abnormal for us to be there to see whales jumping, to see dolphins, to see birds diving, to see rainbows. It's, just, it's absolutely beautiful and fantastic, sometimes all at the same time. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. And when I see this, man, my heart just leaps and I start to just praise the Lord. How oh, great are you that you've made this? It's, it's kind of like what the psalmist says in, in Psalm 9 verse 1. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God the skies display his craftsmanship, his craftsmanship. Man, this beauty that we see around us didn't just happen or spring into existence unaided, but rather what science is now telling us, that the building blocks of this world, the, the parameters and constants and laws that govern a matter in order that they might be life in the universe, are just right just so in order that life might be real. Are you following me here? Man, so, so there are about 50 parameters and constants, around about 50 parameters and constants that just need to be right in order for life to happen in this universe. One of them that we, uh, we're going to look at is that one is gravity. Gravity, it's philosoph- uh, philosophers, uh, physicists have discovered um, four forces of nature. Um, that are relative to one another and are there so that life might exist in the universe. And one of them is gravity. Now, if gravity was off by one part in 10,000 billion, 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 relative to the uh, strength of the other uh, four forces of nature, life would not be possible in the universe. Let me say that again, because I just said that number like it was nothing. One part in 10,000... Billion, billion, billion. I, I, I can't fathom that. I just can't fathom that number. Maybe you can, but I, my brain is too small to fathom what one part in 10,000, a billion, billion, billion is relative to the other strength of the four forces of nature. It has to be just so in order for life to exist in this universe. Another one is the neutron. Man, the neutron just has to be exactly like it is in order for life to exist. If the neutron was not roughly 1.001 mass times of a proton, all, all neutrons would become protons, or all protons would become neutrons, and life would not be able to be right. And there's 50 of them that just need to be as they are in order for life to happen. 50. And what's crazy about it is that they are all interdependent on one another. not independent, interdependent. That means you could have 49 of them exactly right, and gravity could be one part of 10,000 billion, billion, billion off, and life would not be possible in the whole universe. (laughs) There is less, it makes more logic to me that this did not happen by chance, that those crazy numbers could just be right by chance it makes more sense that there is a creator a designer that has made it just right in order for this to happen evidence pointing towards that there is a god let's let's talk about the planet that we're on planets what a planet needs in order for life to be sustainable in order for there to be uh, to support con, uh, complex life there is about two dozen characteristics of a of a planet that is needed, and let me just rattle off some. Man, this planet needs to have the correct mass, it needs to be orbited by a large moon, not a small moon, a large one, having a, a magnetic field, manifestation in an oxygen rich atmosphere, orbiting a main sequence, has a G two uh, dwarf star, not a large one, not as, too small, not too big, just the right one, and being in the correct location in galactic. Uh, Habitual, uh, habitual zone just needs to be right again, man, pointing towards there being a God, it has to be just right in order for there to be life. Now, again, as I say, this is pointed towards God. there are some objections to this. Let's deal with some of the objections. Come, some of the objections is well, this might not be uh, so hard to believe if there were an infinite amount of universes. If there were multiple, 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 multiple amount of universes, then possibly there would eventually be one universe that has just the right sequences and just the right just so things so that there might be life in that universe. The problem with it is that there are no scientific facts whatsoever that prove that there are multiple universes, infinite amounts. Man, uh, sci-fi writers have a heyday with this. They love it. But to say that there's any scientific evidence for it is, uh, there isn't, to say the least. And so it's just based on assumption that there possibly maybe could be uh, multiple universes to support that argument. The second one, and it's quite um, an interesting objection, and this we'll finish off here with the evidence and we'll move on. It says here that if evidence points to a designer, a divine designer, then who designed the designer? I think we kind of addressed that, but it goes on, it goes further. It says, if we don't need to answer that question, it is argued, then why do we need to worry about the designer of our universe? Man, it's a, while this is an interesting challenge, it misses the simple point that the universe is better explained by a designer than by chance. Let me explain. Next, when are you going to Oz? Thursday, are you going to Great Barrier Reef? oh man, she's lucky. Eh? She, she, Nikki's going to uh, Australia, and she's heading off to the Great Barrier Reef. Say we all decided to join her. Dave's pain. Um, so <laughs> so we all go, we're all going to join. We're going to join, and um, Dave didn't know that. Um, now he does. And we all we go head off to join her. We go, we go in scuba diving. I don't know if Nikki knows she's doing that either, but we go in scuba diving, and we head off, and we jump into the Great Barrier Reef. It's fantastic. There's loads of fish and Corals and stuff, and as we there, we come across man, an underwater city. It's fantastic. We we there, they've got these tunnels that are down. There's it's like kind of like Star Wars. If I'm just this is what I'm picturing in my mind this like big bubble of air that we can go in, and have life. There's great coffee shops, there's great things to just chat. There's animals running around there. We're not wet, we don't have to wear our masks. It's, fair. it's this great, amazing city now for us. Logically, when we just talk about that, it just makes sense that someone designed that, right? Didn't happen by chance, doubt it. So someone must have designed it. But we are unable to figure out who designed it and what were his intentions of designing it. And and so we just forego the fact that someone designed it and said it happened by chance. No. It would seem silly for us. To go, just because we don't know who designed it, that it makes more sense then that it happened by chance than someone designed it. And so while there might be questions in in the air about who the designer is, doesn't mean that the universe didn't have a design. You following me there? Just makes more sense. Pointing again towards the fact that there is a God. I'm gonna move on here. The problem that we have is while this all these arguments and evidences, what they do is they just point towards the fact that there is a God. And they say, oh man, there's possibly a God, but never helps us understand who that God is. We can never ever figure out who he is. This is, one of the, this is a major problem for us because if we just have to consider the amazingness, the incredibleness of this God and how he must be, he must be extremely powerful. Man, he must be huge. He must be intelligent to be able to design a universe that looks and is and functions as it just, just so, so in order that there might be life. And yet, how are we ever going to figure out who he is? Because his arguments don't point to who he is, just that he's there. And we as finite beings, man, with limitations, we don't even know this: what this universe obtains and all, how it all works yet. How in the world are we ever in our Intelligence and wisdom able to come to know who this God is. that just can't happen. It just can't happen. We, we see in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 Corinthians 1, sorry, verses uh, 20 to 21, it says this. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world did not know God through wisdom. And this is, this is the major problem that we have when it comes to man-made philosophies, when you're trying to figure out who God is. One of them is that man, philosophies about God often hold very little weight, to that often, because it's man-made, what it does is it points to a type of God that is often not the real God. And so we find ourselves in this pickle, if you will, that we aren't able to figure out who this God is based on our own intelligence. We just can't. He's infinite, we finite. So how then do we come to a conclusion? Man, he's there, but who is he? How do I know him? Well, fortunately for us. Paul continues on in, uh, in that verse, and he says this it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. How God would show himself is through the folly what they preached, so we might know him. And what is the folly that they preached? He, he goes on to say in verse um, uh, goes on to say in verse twenty three, but we preached Christ crucified. He would go on to say in chapter two, verses uh, two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Church, the only way in which we are ever able to come to an understanding of who this God is is through Jesus, through the revelation of God that he has given us through Christ and him crucified, and that's it. Man, we can come and we can point you towards a God, but to know the God, it's only through Jesus, nothing else. We just can't figure out ourselves. We need God to reveal himself. And he's done that through Christ. Matthew 27, uh, Matthew 27 uh, verses, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 11 verse 27 says this. This is Jesus speaking. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. We can only ever know God, only through the revelation that Christ gives us of the Father. We can't figure it out ourselves. But he has the beauty. Jesus doesn't just stop there. He continues on speaking in Matthew 11, and he says this, come to me. He has this invitation. You want to know him? Come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The only way we are ever able to come to an understanding of who this God is, is through Jesus Christ. Coming to him, that there, in him alone there is life, nowhere else. In him, there is the satisfaction of life in which you've been seeking, not in this world. In him alone is the peace that you've been longing for, not in the things of this world. Him, there is proper, abundant life, nowhere else. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. But why is it only found in Christ and not in the world? Because true life and the satisfaction of it and the peace of it is not found in the creation, but rather in the creator of life. It's only found in Him. And so, man, there is this need for us. There's this deep need for us to come to Jesus. And how do we do that? By simply believing and repenting of our sins. And believing that He is our only way, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. It's believing in that and repenting of our sins. Repenting, what I mean by that is that we repent from the fact that we have lived life for ourselves and lived for about me, 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 rather than this creator. That we've lived for us and not him. That we've realized that he's real and true and that I have lived for myself and not for him. That I've done things that I should not do because he does not want me to do them. And I've done, do not done things that I should do because he has asked me to do them and I didn't know. And so now I need to repent from that. And when we do that, man, we are saved because Christ has come and he's died for our sins. This is why it's folly. This is the folly we preach. It's folly because why, in in human wisdom, why would someone so great and infinite and powerful such as God would ever care about a rebellious little life on a rock that doesn't even make a little blimp in the whole universe. And yet he would come down, become one of us, come and die for us so that we might know him and experience the fullness of life in him. Man, that's folly. It's not a human wisdom. But here it is. Here this God coming and saying, here I am. Come to me.